BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I have to explain. Uh, I do. That's the only reason I do this thing here. Like the other night, I'm in a cab. And, uh, you know, you never know when you're a performing artist uh, just what effect you're going to have on the audience. You just don't know. And uh, what ultimately the effect will be. So the other night, I get in this cab on 6th Avenue, you know. And it's a hard driving night. The rain is pouring down. And uh, I get in the cab and you know, they got this little divider in between, and I got a brief glimpse of the cab driver. Well, he's uh, he's the you know there's a there's a certain new type of cab driver. You know, the ultimate hippie cab driver. You know, this type, great big hair hanging down. You know, and he's got black shades. In spite of the fact that the, the visibility was down to three and a half feet, he's wearing black shades in his cab, and he's got this radio blaring full blast. He's got a transistor radio you know, hanging from the rearview mirror and a whole bit, and uh, yeah, he's you know he's really on top. It's he little pot going up there in the front thing. And uh, I get into the cab, 
And he says, uh, where do you want to go? You know, he just throws it back like that. And I said, uh, hmm, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, take me to uh, 10th and uh, 7th Avenue, okay? Is that okay for you? I mean, 10th and 7th, I don't want to put you out, you know. I don't want to inconvenience you. I know you're headed the other way, but uh, how about 10th and 7th, all right? And uh, there's a long pregnant pause, and all of a sudden, this guy looks back at me through this plastic shield, and his face is wild with excitement. He's ripped his shades off, see, and he's looking at me, and his eyeballs are spinning. And he said, hey, you, hey, man. I said, yeah. He said, you shepherd, huh, you shepherd? I said, yes. How did you know? So I, I, I could tell your voice. Oh, man, man. Look what you've done to me. You made me crazy. Look what you've done to me. Look at And he grabs his hair. See, and his hair is all over the place. He should turn me hip, man. So I was living on the suburbs. I just want a kid. You're going to school. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I'd have had four kids. I'd have been living and working at the equitable insurance company now. If it wasn't for you. You turned me into a hippie, man. You made me, you, you blew my head. You made me crazy. Let's take me to 7th, please. 7th Avenue and 10th Street. And that uh, we will discuss it on the way down. On the way down, son. And so, art marches on, laying waste the world around it. Art, in his strangely subversive, destructive way, lays waste the literal. as part of our vast public service programming here at this concerned radio station, we salute the whole world of art. Hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, I like that, George. Can you play that again for me? I mean, that's just the way I like to make an entrance, man. Wouldn't it be fantastic tonight when you get home from work, you know? You walk into the house, and you fling the door open, and you stand there for a second, looking in over the threshold, and then you step tall, rangy, and angry into the room. Electromagnetic lights immediately pick up the intrusion of your body through the various light beams as you enter the room. A vast eight-speaker, 400-watt stereo system plays. And a voice says, He's here. Charlie is home. minute while the crowd roars its approval. Then you say, uh, hey, how about a how about a peanut butter sandwich, huh? That's not bad. Uh, oh, then there's another type. Give me the last cut on that thing, George, the last cut. 
the last cut, and uh, that, that's even in some ways. See, now, at this point, see, you've spent the whole day in your house, and, uh, you know, various, uh, various, uh, you see, it's all pre-programmed. you got to understand, it's a great tape that's kept down in your basement, just played 24 hours a day, and uh, your whole life is programmed so that it has proper production. I think most people's lives are badly produced. I mean, you know, they go out and they buy themselves a sofa or some, you know, piece of furniture, never realizing that the green in their complexion and the slight yellow in the eye and the, uh, the uh, red rims that are eyeballs totally clash with this piece of furniture, which makes them look even greener and rottener than they would look otherwise, you know? You've got to think of yourself as part of a whole, an entity. Believe me, when Paul Newman steps out on that stage... You don't think he just sort of walks out, do you? Oh, listen, there's 5,000 guys working on costumes, lighting, music, sets, sets. It's all important. I mean, you know, he walks out there. They match his complexion so that it blends beautifully with the, with the wallpaper on the set itself. Did you know that? So everything is right. You don't think that Michael Caine looks like that in real life. He's a little skinny guy that has a bad nose. He keeps running. But, boy, when he's in front of the camera, it's another story. There's a lesson here for all of you. Poor slobs. It's not enough to go to Robert Hall and buy yourself an Edwardian double-knit stretch polyester Tony Curtis-type sport coat. That won't do it. No way. Because, first of all, Tony Curtis don't go there, I'll tell you that. You can be damn well certain of that. No way. To produce one sport coat for Tony Curtis takes upwards of seven to eight weeks. The works of 17 to 25 tailors were called from all points of the world. London, Paris, Bombay, Rome, Hong Kong. They work on one sport coat. What about you, you know? You walk into Robert Hall on a Saturday night, they slap it on you, you stand there in front of the mirror, the guy's holding the back down so that it doesn't look like it's coming up over your head like a cowl that a monk wears. And he says, looks good on you. And you say, oh, really, yeah. The next thing you know, you walk out there looking like a polar bear with feet. Right? That's right. You've got to learn to produce your life. It's got to be produced. Imagine this now, all right. Okay? The light's dim, right? And uh, we now spend... We'll we, we leap to the morning now. You have, you have slept... Incidentally, sleeping is very important. Have you noticed when any time a movie star is seen sleeping, they don't just lay like you do with one foot hanging out and the dog laying on your head. None of that stuff. None of that jazz. When a, when a movie star sleeps, man, it's produced. The hair is all... Pr the pillow, for example. When a hair falls on a pillow, look at what you do, you know? Their hair is carefully carefully placed. It's even pinned to the pillow, so they don't, you know... Very careful. No wonder your life looks so rotten when you, you know... And then what happens? You don't think for a minute that Paul Newman ever allows himself to be shot by a three-dollar-and-a-half Instamatic, do you? <laughs> no way. Listen, there's at least... $220,000 worth of camera alone picking them. And you don't think that that cameraman is his Aunt Mildred, do you? But you're continually allowing yourself to have your pictures taken by your cousin Floyd. And that, you know, that, that, that $4 Instamatic he got in the Wheaties box. Now, what do you look like? Yeah, a bowling pin, you know, wearing earmuffs. You've got to be produced. And so, here, here's the way it works. You wake up in the morning... And as your head rises from the pillow, you have a device which is operated by pressure. The minute your head raises from the pillow, subtle loudspeakers all over the room go on. Music plays. 
projector. Birds fly across the wallpaper of your living room. And a voice says, the dawn came quietly on tiny cat's feet out of the eastern horizon. And Charlie rose to meet another day. the pajamas alone worn by Charlton Heston in his last picture cost $730. The pajamas. Look what you're wearing, them old jockey shorts. With the bad rubber around the top. You get out there with your behind hanging down like a sack of potatoes. Go into the breakfast nook to break your morning egg. The music plays subtly and quietly behind you. And the voice says, Dawn rose like a clear scimitar in the eastern sky. Another exciting day. Another day full of promise. A day full of rich, verdant action. A day in the life of Charlie Gustav began. checkout line. Now, that's a fact. No, no, think about your life once in a while. You know, you, you just... Because uh, most people subtly compare their life with the, with the life of showbiz they see around them. You know, they really do. And uh, I, I'm not kidding. Charlton Heston's pajamas cost $742 in his last movie. Now, that's probably worth more than your entire house, you, your life, your car and quite possibly everything you've ever owned in your life, all adding up at once. That's just his pajamas. No wonder you don't make it. No. And it's not the fact that he paid a lot of money for the pajamas. Oh, no. Do you realize that there's a tailor on Bond Street in London who specializes and does nothing but elegant pajamas? They start at five bills a crack, and I don't mean five bucks. Now, that's the way to get in the bed. And even better, that's the way to get out of bed. That's where it counts. So even sleep is a positive artistic action among those who understand artistic action. Nothing is done. Nothing is left to chance. Nothing. No way. You know that, that, that Steve McQueen has three people who live in Beverly Hills who do nothing, who do nothing but produce wear in his blue jeans so that they're properly worn by the time he put... He does not appear 
Just a pair of old blue jeans. You go down the army and get blue jeans in the army? Are you out of your mind? I mean, do you know that the rivets in, in Steve McQueen's blue jeans, the rivets, 14 karat gold, they gleam and glisten. You're just sort of stick you in the rump. Everything is right. Are you aware? Now, wait a minute. Don't, don't put it. You know that the, I happen to know that Jack Lemon has a pair of sunglasses that's worth 1245 bucks. Sunglasses. So when he goes out and plays the Bob Hope Desert Open, you're looking at sunglasses, friends. You're not looking at the things you bring home from Walgreens. Those things that pinch your nose, make you look like a banana with sinus trouble. This is W speaking for that. This is W O R New York. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of a banana with sinus trouble. That's very tender. And now an important cultural announcement. <laughs> oh man, we've been having a fantastic time on these book signings over in Bambergers in Jersey. And now here is an important cultural announcement. March sixth, Tuesday. At 7 p.m. until the last dog is hung. We're going to stay around all evening, March 6th, Tuesday, 7 p.m. until the last lousy dog is hung. We're going to have a big book signing for the Ferrari in the bedroom. And it's going to be at Bamberger's Menlo Park Shopping Center in Edison, New Jersey. That's just off Parsonage Road. Remember, Bamberger's Menlo Park Shopping Center, Edison, New Jersey, Tuesday, March 6th, 7 p.m. until the last dog is hung. The last dog will be hung, and we'll be still there signing the Ferrari in the bedroom. Oh, man, these have been fantastic. That's March 6, 7 p.m., Bamberger's Menlo Park Shopping Center. And now here's a word from the California Prune Advisory Board. Sunray, you look pretty in your hair. Oh, thank you. Uh, Mary Lou. Uh, yeah, her... uh, What do you say we stop walking and sit on this bench a while? Oh, sure. Um... What, would you care for a prune? A what? <laughs> yeah, that's what I like about you. Your sense of humor. Would you, would you like another prune? Listen, I'm kidding. I mean it. No, I, I really like you. No, I mean, I love you. Uh, have some more prunes. What, would you marry me, Mary Lou? Mention prunes, and people just naturally break up. Uh, maybe they still don't know that pound for pound, prunes have more iron, niacin, and vitamin B2 than the six leading fresh fruits and eight times the vitamin A of the most popular fresh fruit. They're even good for your complexion. It's about time people gave another thought to the California prune, the funny fruit that does so much for you. Oh, you made me the happiest guy in the world, Mary Lou. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, you think, listen, you think the showbiz is not beginning to play a role in everybody's life? Now, wait a minute. You think I'm exaggerating, don't you? You do. You, I, I, bet, I bet a lot of people do. I really do. I, see, I think most people walk through their lives not really knowing what's going on around them. Now, I'm not saying that I'm any particularly more incisive or cutting or intelligent or anything else than you are, but I have to live in a world where I'm privy to that kind of information. That's what it's based on. It ain't based on rumor, friend. It's based on fact. I know one actress. I'm curious about this one. I know one actress that imports her lipsticks from Budapest at 26 bucks a crack. That's just the lipstick. You should see what she pays for eyeshadow. <laughs> oh, my God. They wouldn't even think of going out. 
In fact, one time, the apartment she was living in got a, a fire alarm was turned in. The apartment was burning. She would not appear on the fire escape until she had been given time to have her makeup man come over and make her up completely ready. And when she appeared on the fire escape, flash bulbs went off, and she got three more picture offers. And what do you do? That's right. Mess around. <laughs> Your life is a shambles. Now, listen, you think that's... All right, all right, you think that's... Uh, I'm exaggerating. How many of you out there are egg cuckoos? Any, any of you like egg? You know, you like an egg in the morning. You, George, you like an egg here and there? Or do you prefer to throw them? What do you do? What eggs? Huh? No, you never know, you know? Okay, you wouldn't believe now, would you, that eggs... You think Shepard's exaggerating. If I came on and told you that eggs, 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 the kind you buy at the Gristides, that eggs are a part of showbiz, you'd say, oh, there's that guy. He's really blowing smoking. Oh, wow, you know? Get, get rid of this guy. Come on, get Cousin Brucey. That's where it's happening. You know, come on. Come on, Fred. Open your head up, you know. Really, do you know that eggs are now part of showbiz? No, I'm not talking about eggs being candle. I'm not even talking about uh, Easter eggs. I'm talking about showbiz eggs. No, not even that. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about the egg itself is now being produced. Yeah. All right, listen. This is from the London Observer. Now, how many people... Uh, all right, well, I'll just let the piece stand for itself. This is a London Observer. Listen to this. You think it's only America that's getting phony. Listen to this one, friends. If, if, this, if Ralph Nader, Nader ever heard of a thing like this, he'd blow his gasket. Listen, the London Observer, now that's an official paper. That's even more official than the, Ch the Chelsea Shopping News. Gets right up and says it, man. Listen to this. Fair stands the wind for Holland. For addicts. You know, most of us think of Holland as this place where people walk around in wooden shoes and grow tulips, you know, and, and uh, they make this cheese. Wait, listen to this. Fair stands the wind for Holland. For addicts of honest farmhouse fare, devotees of true nature food, and disciples who prefer to buy their provender almost before it's breathed its last. You know, there's so many people who believe that they want stuff, you know, farm, farmyard fresh. You know, you hear this, uh, you, you know, the, the organic food, cuckoos and all that. Well, listen to this. On the premise that the image is as good as the reality. Did you hear that? The image is as good as the reality. Think carefully what that has just said. That's a nice way of saying that the fake is as good as the real thing. Because most people don't know the fake from the real thing anyway. Ain't that a sad truth? <laughs> Listen to this. The Dutch Egg Board has decided to stick mud, manure and bits of feather to their factory-clean eggs to give them, quote, a straight-from-the-farmyard look. Now, sir, uh, this new muck application process has been introduced, according to the head of the board, because the egg-buying Hollanders have shown reaction against, quote, the plastic and concrete style of modern living. You know how all of us are always talking about that. And so people now travel out into the country to buy things like marmalade, which incidentally the same farmer buys from the A&P, brings it out to his <laughs> place and farm, you know, throws a little uh, manure dust on it, and you pay uh, $2 for it. And it's actual marmalade. We've got this in the Vermont farmhouse. Well, this is, this is a whole mystique, see? There's a whole new thing of people who say, I don't want plastic living. 
But they don't know plastic living from the real living, you know, it's the same. So the Dutch are very realistic people. They says, well, all the Dutch people won't buy the eggs unless they look like they come right from the barnyard. And obviously they don't come from barnyards anymore. They're these giant egg factories, you know, 200 million chickens all working away, you know, uh, working the... Oh, yes, they, 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 they've got... They do have... They, they have I'm not kidding you. <laughs> George, that's the truth. Have you ever seen the egg factories up in Maine? Well, we have an idea of a chicken yard of this little place, you know, where this old lady with a looks a li- little like Mary Worth comes out, you know, wearing an apron and feeds the chickens with the corn. Oh, come on! I listen. There's a there's an egg factory outside of Portland, Maine, that's roughly the size of Trenton. It's about seven stories high, and I mean it. It covers about uh, half a square mile, seven stories high, and works 24 hours a day. See, they have the the lights are on all the time. And they got 18 billion chickens all sitting there popping out eggs every minute and a half. And they pop them out. You think they pop them out into a, uh, into a nest or anything like that? Hell no. They got an endless belt that goes along. It catches it. <laughs> you know, these chickens just sit there and they pop these eggs out. Now, these are pro chickens. These are, these are, these are not uh, your Johnny-come-lately chicken. These are chickens that, you know, if, uh, and each one, you see, they, they have a counter. Uh, on this, uh, in each little pen where the chicken is, see? And the chicken's in a little pen about a foot and a half square. He's stuck right into it, his head sticking out. And uh, his head's, by the way, over an automatic feeder. Every couple of seconds, more corn, more uh, vitamins, more uh, automatic egg-laying mash. It's a constant. He eats this stuff up. He sits there and goes, quack, 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 quack. Out goes another one. And uh, the, the machine carries it away, and it's counted, see? And if some chicken gets a bad rating, forget it. Yes, sir, forget it. That chicken is from thenceforth working for... He's working for Mr. Purdue. And Mr. Purdue's in a different business. <laughs> well, so so these are professional chickens. 18 million of them all going, you know, steadily. These eggs are all carried down through vast candling machines. And they, you know, they go down into big chutes. And there's night and day, 24 hours a day. Now, I'm not exaggerating. It's going boom, 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 boom. You hear, you have trucks are pulling up and pulling out all night long, and these eggs, and they all come into, and finally, nobody touched them, the whole machine, and the whole thing works by itself, 12,000 billion eggs an hour. They all go out in trucks, the refrigerated trucks, and every one of them has a, has a carton on the outside. It says, uh, Ma Guberman's Homegrown Farm Eggs. Away they go. Down home Maine. So people come for miles around. They say, you know, Ma Guberman, she really, up there in that little main farmhouse, you know, got her three little chickens probably. She takes them, you know, makes, makes quilts and shawls for the, you know, for the 4-H kids and all that little Ma And she makes the wonderful eggs. Now, if they knew that they come from this giant egg factory, the most electronic, uh, totally transistorized egg factory in the history of the Western world. As a matter of fact, they're working on a machine now to do away with the chickens entirely. Because the chickens, of course, are not the... After all, they still remain chickens, no matter what. And, you know, chickens are, you know, honestly, they have a funny smell. You know how chickens are. So they have produced a machine. Now, wait, you haven't heard the rest of it. They have produced a machine. George, I kid you not. They have produced a machine now where as soon as the egg is laid, the egg is cracked, and the entire egg, as it comes out of the, you know, out of the yolk, out of the egg shell, is carried in a little plastic container down into a machine that produces a machine-made egg shell. 
that is square. You can buy now. I'm not kidding. Everybody thinks Shepard's again blowing smoke. It is square for ease of storage, and you can't break it, the whole bit, see? And it has a little thing on the side, you know, like a gum wrapper. When you want to open it, zip, out it comes, pop, you got an egg. Now, you can get them in any color if you want. You know, if you want them in the shape of Santa Claus or whatever you want, you know? So, <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening. Well, now, listen what's happening in Holland. Uh, it says, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the, this, this whole attitude... We've got to get back to basics. It's swept all over the world. You think it's only only America? No way. Do you know that in most foreign countries, the plastic world is far more advanced than it is here? Do you know that? Now, I'm telling you the actual truth. I was amazed when I was first in Holland a few years ago that in Holland and in several other foreign countries, including France, uh, they are so into the plastic bag that you can buy vegetables, for example. Listen, I'm not kidding you. Cream spinach, for example. Uh, soup in a tube, a plastic tube that looks exactly like a, well, if you can imagine, a plastic toothpaste tube. looks just like a toothpaste tube. And you just squeeze it out, that's all. Now, that's, uh, that's, a, now that's a gourmet's way of living. You know, go out and get yourself seven or eight tubes. Did you know that, Jerry? You didn't. Well... They're, if you think we're bad, they're, they're 50 times worse because they really embrace the plastic world. And in Sweden, when I was in Sweden here a few, uh, in fact, just a few months ago, do you know that Sweden has a store that is completely mechanized? You know, we talk about the dehumanizing effect of, say, the shopping center, but at least there's kids around out there, you know, putting your stuff in the bags, right? And there's a kid uh, over there who's making those special little purple smears on the top of the on the top of the beans cans, you know, that you can't read, you know. That's a kid doing all that stuff, you know, and there's people walking around. But in this store in Sweden, they have a store there where you, you come in. This is exactly what happens. It's a, it's a vast machine-like. And you walk in, and everything is, is behind a little glass case. And uh, all that stuff. There's cans, millions of cans. So you go to the canned goods department, right? You go to the canned goods department, and uh, you have a little check. Uh, number three, you are. We'll just say, for argument's sake, it's a little, it's a little round brass check you have, which you take when you come into the store. You take it out of a machine. The machine goes like that. You hit the button. Out comes check number three. Right? Okay. Now you got number three. You walk over and you say, "Oh, I think I'll have myself some Heinz's tomato ketchup, yes, sir, with the chili sauce in it." And so you look over and under the ketchup, the ketchup department. You see this great vast array of little open. The little open windows, but you can't reach in or anything. They're just little windows, and you see sitting in there ketchup. At that point, you take your number three, and you stick it in a slot. It goes, that's it. So then you walk along further on, and you say, I think I will have, uh, let's see, I have a yen to have some, uh, some uh, yeah, how about some uh, chocolate-flavored, uh, uh, yeah, I, I had that one night. How about some chocolate-flavored mayonnaise? That's groovy, with the chocolate chips in it. And so you go to the mayonnaise department, and there's chocolate-flavored chocolate chip mayonnaise. You take your little number three check, stick it in a thing, see, and it goes, it's off. Well, you do that all the way around the store. Nobody there. And at the end, there's a thing that says, something like in Sweden, it says, das uh, is or completish, or something like that. And you just stick your number three in there, you wait about eight seconds, that's it. Out comes your package, all sealed in plastic, with handles on it. 
You walk. <laughs> That's right. And incidentally, it is charged to your bill. You don't even pay them. Every month you get a bill from the machine, which incidentally is sent out by machines too. So if you think we're into that bag, friends, you can walk for blocks in, in, in many European cities and never see a human being. Hey, yeah, and, and the plastic squeeze things. So in Holland, they're very bugged about this. They want to return to, you know, the nature, just like anybody does these days. So the egg board realizes this. It says they had been apparently, the ordinary walking around people in Holland, had been put off the modern egg because it was, quote, clean, well-packed, and apparently untouched by man or beast. To restore the impression that a Dutch egg still has some passing acquaintance with a chicken, the mud and the fluff, you know, little pieces of feather, is being deliberately, by machines, of course, added to, quote, make them look real and give that old farmyard look. Well, I said, this is all with experience of mucking up eggs. <laughs> That's a good English expression. All with experience of mucking up eggs. We'll know the difficulties involved in bringing barrow loads of manure and pillows full of feathers into an automated, sterilized, razor-costed egg factory. That's not going to be easy for them to get all that chicken dung in there, you know. That's going to, they're introducing an alien element. You know, the interesting thing about it is that man has spent 7,000 years trying to get away from chicken dung, and that now people are a little bugged because they're getting away from it, so they're going to bring it in. Of course, it's going to be in plastic-sealed bags, I'm sure. And then there will be a machine that will be produced to create sterilized uh, polyethylene. Uh, they'll, yeah, they'll call it uh, something like uh, dungathene, which is, uh, you know, an artificial chicken dung, which is much better than the other type, but, you know, vitamin-enriched. It says, never mind the unsanitary scum that such earthly additives are going to leave inside egg saucepans, thus demanding full squeegee washing-up procedures for the one cooking utensil that could previously be waved about a bit after emptying and struck back into the cupboard if the wife wasn't about, and ignoring the needs of young female flat dwellers accustomed to cutting their getting up time so fine that their needs must make their coffee with the egg water. But all will doubtless be well when our own and other progressive, he's talking about England here, and other progressive egg boards of the Western world latch on to the, the shell smirching gimmick, the machine being produced by the Dutch, official smircher. In these enlightened days, when every schoolboy knows that artificial is better, it will be assuredly not long before the natural, filthy barnyard look is applied to, uh, you know, artificial eggs by means of good, wholesome, synthetic materials. He who made the plastic chrysanthemum can surely make a standard, salubrious, self-adhesive chicken feather and arrange to spew them out by the unrottable millions to land at random on endless conveyor loads of otherwise anemic eggs. It's kind of a great idea. The same guy that invented the plastic chrysanthemum will invent the plastic feather. <laughs> the, sp the, spla the plastic... Uh, it says, the man who made the mechanical cow, which takes grass in at one end and gives milk at the other, should not have any difficulty in devising a machine which is fed polyvinyl waste in the front and ejects daunting quantities of inert but high-heaven ponging manure from its rear. <laughs> it says the same to be splattered by computer through the holes in pre-punched tape onto the already feathered ovoids. And later, of course, with uh, the goodwill of all men devoted to technological progress, it should be just one small step 
from giving the egg a phony exterior to sensibly providing it with a prefabricated interior. And that's an interesting point. The production of a thin glass fiber shell suitably perforated for swift knife cracking should not tax current ingenuity. See, he's behind. He doesn't know this has already been done. The writer is not aware that they've already produced artificial eggshells, which, by the way, come in squares. He doesn't know that you can now get... You know how many problems you have with the eggs rolling around, so you can keep them in squares. It says a nutritious mush of soy meal and saffron, because already, you know, a lot of people are on diets say, oh, you can't eat eggs, you know, because of, uh, because of cholesterol or something. So you can make an artificial egg that doesn't have cholesterol, but gives you the same aesthetic satisfaction and even the same taste. He says, a nutritious mush of soy meal and saffron contained within a plastic membrane would provide an adequate yolk substitute, and the surrounding albumin could be derived from an equal portion of pale colloid taken from polycellular wallpaper paste. Such hygienically manufactured ova would not only take the current commercial hazards out of egg farming, you'd never have a bag ad day, you know, bad egg day, they would also relieve the mind's of pollution-obsessed consumers who are worried about whether the food value of the natural egg is not now outweighed by its injurious content of antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, he says, very good. He says, uh, he says, what about bacon? He says, we haven't even moved into this yet. He said, and after all, the current trouble with swine fever, you know, all over the world, they've had this swine fever. Have you heard about that? Pigs having this disease? He says the pig meat industry, forward-looking scientists, might be inspired to develop a more reliable bacon rasher composed of pink-titted petrochemical protein and edged with a rind specially treated for instant crackle. The great British and American breakfast of bacon and eggs could then be freed from its present archaic ancient dependence upon out-of-date animals. And we could all go happily to work each morning with stomachs hygienically full of synthetic bacon and ersatz eggs. Well, <laughs> okay, gang, that's in the works. It really is. I'm going to tell you that I predict, let's see, what is it that says, let's see, what century is this? Uh, it's the 20th, right? That I, I, was the last time we looked at it. The 20th century. I would say by the mid-21st century, mid, that's a long time when none of you alive will be alive. Nobody from our crowd, nobody, will even be faint memories by then. That will be 600 years from now, friends. No, no, that's, let's see, that will be 7,500 years from now, roughly. Give, give us 100 years. 100 years is good enough. Ain't nobody alive now. Chances are very slim that anybody alive at this time will be still alive 100 years from now. Okay? They will not believe that we actually ate eggs. They will not believe that we actually went out and ate animals like chickens and stuff. They'll be fascinated by this. Just as, have you ever looked at a medieval menu? You would be amazed at what the medievalist would eat. For example, a not unusual, highly prized delicacy at, the, say, Henry VIII's banquets, believe it or not, was hummingbird tongues. Now, it's been a damn long time since you've had a good mess of hummingbird tongues. And this was a common dish. A common dish. Uh, do you want to know another one that they ate that was kind of, a, kind of an interesting dish, which we, we don't even think in terms of? 
one of the one of the great one of the great uh, delicacies that was was pursued and enjoyed by many people of that period was scrambled goat's brain. Well, it's been a damn long time since you sat down. Now, here's another one. You know, you know, you know what was also served at many a many a big banquet was a stuffed hedgehog. Hedgehog. I repeat, hedgehog. Now, uh, these were all very, very common dishes in their day. Now, today, nobody even thinks of eating these. It's a, maybe somebody way back in the boondocks somewhere out in the woods will eat anything that moves. But uh, they will, a lot of people, but in, because of necessity, generally. But as a matter of fact, these dishes have completely disappeared from our, from our world of food anywhere in the world. Which means that a lot of, this is going to happen to us, a lot of the stuff that we eat regularly, we sit around, we eat eggs, we eat uh, chicken, we eat, uh, we eat uh, uh, meat, we eat fish. Uh, you know that a lot of people feel that by the mid, probably 22nd century, if we continue the way we are, fish will be among the rarest of commodities in the world. In other words, the idea of eating fish would be like the equivalent of you sitting down and uh, having, uh, uh, you know, pe- pheasant's tongue or something. You know, it, it'll be, it'll exist, but only on a very rare and highly expensive basis. It's getting that way now, as a matter of fact. But that's a fascinating thing. We, we, we kind of think of food as being universal, you know, <laughs> as persisting. And they claim that by, within the next couple of hundred years, that probably all food that man eats, with a few little exceptions, will be artificially created, completely artificially created, uh, will be created out of what we call, uh, well, out of uh, various uh, uh, non-organic materials, not even organic, non-organic, car- uh, carbon compounds, various other things of that type. And, and you, the people of that time will like it, I mean, because they won't know any different. And it'll seem to them very good. And uh, it will be good because everything is relative. If you've never had baked hedgehog stuffed with hummingbird wings, you don't know what you're missing. On the other hand, since you're totally related to what you eat now, uh, you would probably not like baked hedgehog with uh, hummingbird wings. So everything is what you're what you're brought up within and involved with. Uh, like the time I was in uh, I was in uh, Syria. As a matter of fact, I was in Syria one time. And I was offered a, a dish of soup that contained at, as its, well, it's, it's, it's like its star, its pièce de résistance. There it was, right there in the middle. It's elegant thing. What was it? It was a sheep's eye. Well, it's been a long time since you've sat down to a sheep's eye anywhere, but in, in, uh, in Syria, this is a, you know, regular. So it's everything, it, it all depends on where you, you know, your, your grow, what you're brought up to eat, and how you live, and how you think. And you'll grow up believing that. So, you know, the idea that you sit down and eat eggs, a real egg that came out of a real chicken, will seem very, I think, exotic to people of 100 years from now. As an actual shell, that'll be very exotic. Because if, if there's anything more basic to nature, it's the egg. The egg is the basis of every conceivable part of nature, including you. You came from one. The egg is the basic element of life. 
And uh, it is. <laughs> I mean, man, there ain't no way to get around that. And there it is. I'm talking about to the to the animal life, to the fauna. That's something else. Yep. So, Charlie, tomorrow morning, I expect you to get up with those magnificent... Incidentally, that's another thing. I have to have an actor friend who played in a, in a major movie, a top actor, incidentally, and the scene was to be played, if you think that phoniness doesn't work, the scene was to be played. He was playing a scene with this actress, and the entire scene was about... He was discovered in his underwear, and he was supposed to be wearing his... his uh, you know, he had his... Uh, Skibby shirt, you know, the top of his underwear. He was wearing a pair of jockey shorts, like. And he played this whole scene with this girl. He was very embarrassed. He was, like, supposed to be an important man, and she came in, and there he was in the office, changing clothes and all that. But you ready for this, friends? The T-shirt and the pair of jockey shorts that he wore in the scene, there were two sets they used in the scene because the scene was shot in different sections. They changed this whole thing in a different round. Cost... $600 to tailor and create for him. He looked great in the underwear. And you show up with those $1.49 specials, the one you got at Penny's three and a half years ago. And, the, and you know, the little rubber band has been popping for weeks. It's hanging down around your knees when you wear them. No wonder you look how you look. No wonder George Siegel looks the way George Siegel looks. If you're curious who the actor was. 